Uh, you may be seated. Uh, God is doing some amazing things among our young people and our family. And I'm, I'm just so thankful to be part of a church who just values young people and makes commitment for the next generation to make sure they have full opportunities to experience the love and grace of Jesus. So I'm just so humbled uh, for what you do here at Pathway Church. Uh, if you're new here, welcome. We're glad you're here. Whether you're online, sanctuary, your true worth, you're going to learn a whole lot about us. Uh, if you don't know anything about us, it's, you, it came at a good time because we're sharing a lot about our DNA, who we are, and a casting vision for the future. And this is your church home. Uh, you're learning a whole lot about where God is leading us and, and how we're all going to be a part of it. Uh, but if you need a Bible, raise your hand. They'll bring one to you. Um, we're going to be in the scriptures here in a moment. The sanctuary, you have them right there in front of you. True worth, you have them there. And if you're watching online, hope you have time to get access to the scriptures. Uh, we'll be there shortly. This, uh, this morning... I want to clarify some things, because sometimes we all get confused, and if you've ever been in a confused place in your life, I think you'd agree that being confused is no fun. It's just not a good thing to be confused. Uh, many years ago, uh, before we came here to Pathway, uh, I worked out in Odessa, and even before I was in the ministry at a church out there, I worked in the oil patch, and I worked for this little company, they did oil field rig stuff, and one day the the, the brother's owner had to go from Odessa to Hobbs to pick up a check, and he was going to fly. And he was kind of giving me flying lessons on the side. And he said, hey, Rick, go with me. Go pick up this check. I'll give you a lesson along the way. I said, great. So we get up there, and boy, does he give me a lesson. Uh, because he says, it's yours. You take over the rest of the way. And so I looked down at the uh, gauge, and the fuel was kind of low. And I looked at him and went, hey. And he said, figure it out. And I did not yet have full understanding of navigation equipment and the map that you have there, right there. And so I, ah, I don't, man, I, and then I realized I was lost. I really didn't know where we were. We're up here in the air. And I thought, which, oh, so I'm kind of confused. And I thought, oh, well, I got to find a runway. I mean, I've got to find a runway quick. I'm not sure what our fuel is and how far we have to go. So I see this little town has a water tower. Small town water towers usually have the name of the town on the water tower. Brilliant. Go down low, get closer to the water tower, sir, name. Ah, I know I got clarity on where we were and how much farther we had to go. And boy, was I relieved uh, to figure out where we were. Hey, no one likes to be lost. Would you agree? Uh, you don't like to be out somewhere and go, where am I? Where am I going? How far do I have to be? It's just not a good thing. Uh, we all want to have clarity. Clear. Um, several years ago, you may have heard about this. The, uh, there was a family moving from Portland, Oregon to Wichita, Kansas. And they decided they were going to fly their German shepherd named Ergo, a kennel, and fly the dog to uh, Wichita, to their new place. And so the, the, the baggage handlers somehow mistakenly, this never happens, right? But it did, right? Put Ergo on a plane to Japan. So Ergo gets off the plane in Japan and goes... This is not Kansas. <laughs> you know, I'm confused. I thought I was supposed to go to Kansas. What is wrong? I'm in the wrong place. But, you know, then they gave him some water with sake in it, and he said, oh, I'll stay for a while. Okay. You know, right? <laughs> Maybe Kansas isn't so bad, right? Uh, sometimes I talk to single people who are dating. I want you, if you're single, you're welcome here. I mean, sometimes I know you hear me, no, I'm married, so you hear all these illustrations about married folks. But if you're single, I want you to know there's a place for you here. And so I find myself talking to single folks that are dating. I'll ask, hey, tell me, how's it going in your dating life? And sometimes I hear someone say something like this. Well, you know, I'm really kind of confused. 
I'm not sure where we stand. I'm going, whew, that's not a good place to be. Uh, when you're dating someone and you're confused, you don't know where you stand, you go, ah, very uncomfortable, right? Very awkward feeling. Uh, talk to people who are changing jobs and changing vocations. They don't like what they're doing with their life. And they go, whoa, you know, I, I just kind of need to get a promotion or go over here or go over there. And I ask them, well, tell me, how are you in that process? And they go, tell you the truth, Pastor, I'm a little confused. I'm not sure if I should go do this or I should accept that. I, I'm, just, I'm just not sure. None of us like to be in a state of life where we're confused. We all want clarity. I want to give you some clarity, make some things crystal clear on where we're headed and some things that are going on around here. The first thing I want clarity on is about when our special prayer service is. Uh, We're going to put an image on the screen because some of you are visual. That it is at 532 night in the ark. I meant to be very crystal clear. It's not next Sunday. Uh, It's not two weeks. It is tonight at 530. Crystal clear, you will be home in time for the game. Very clear, all right? It's not going to be a long service. It's going to be kind of different. It's going to be fun, historic. You will not want to miss it. Make sure you're clear on that. Also want to make sure you're clear on some of the vision stuff we have going on around here. We're going to put a slide on the screen. Kind of a reminder. We shared this last week. Where are we headed? What does this now one more mean? A million and one aha moments. million and one. Wow, that's a big number. What does that mean? A million and one. Aha. What does aha mean? Uh, we hope you get some clarity on that a little bit here this morning. Uh, reclaim the yard for its intended purpose. You know this building we built in 2003 for our student ministry to serve the community. Many people have come into this church through their kids who came here first on Wednesdays looking for a place for their kids to hang out. And over time, we have taken this thing over with worship. And we need to reclaim it for its intended purpose which means building a 1,000-seat worship center. Uh, we're going to show you again where it is. We kind of have this, this slide there to show you where it is. It's kind of right behind it. You see the ark where you are in the ark right now. If you're in the ark, if you're in the sanctuary, you kind of have a visual here. We have 852 seats in the ark. So it's not going to be gigantic, just enough to have enough room and enough space to expand in that new worship center. Every seat will be good. It will be excellent, but it's not just going to be for worship. We don't believe in building a building and sitting it there all week long and be empty. That's just not good stewardship. That's not good use of money. So we're designing as such. You can see for multi-purpose activities that some of the chairs can be removed. We can put tables in there on a tiered level. And we can have concerts and we can have uh, conferences for men, for women, uh, for our youth even. And bring in large groups to come in and do things for our community as a whole. So we really want to use it for the community to serve the community well. But it will be designed for worship with multi-purpose other things. And here's a view of the outside. Uh, if you drive in off Renfro, uh, it's going to have this our logo right there where you see the pathway. And you'll notice the pathway is leading to where? The cross. And you can see that cross from 174 when you're coming off on 135, the overpass. And we think it's going to cost six and a half to seven and a half million dollars. And our plan is for those who call this your church home, if you call this your church home, there were, of course, the three-year pledges that all of us together, uh, that we would be able to do this for the mission and purpose, and that it, it is doable. And we're asking you to pray. We gave you a devotion book last week when you left. You got a little book like this. And if you didn't, you can pick it up this morning. Uh, you can go online if you're watching online or at True Worth. And at the very front of it, there's a prayer. We're asking everyone to pray uh, every day. 
And when you leave here this morning, you're also going to get another booklet. It looks like this. They're two separate things. Please take it. It will give you clarity. This is a brochure that gives you a lot more information and clarity about why we're doing what we're doing, how we're going to get there, how it's all involved, answer some financial questions. So please take one of these. I think it'd be helpful. And if you do not have one of these, you can get one of these also at the Now One table, uh, folks, there to answer your question. Now, I really want to get you some clarity, though, this morning on the one more and clarity on what a fully devoted disciple of Jesus looks like. Because uh, I'm not sure a lot of people are clear in their head uh, what this one more thing is about and what someone who is fully devoted to Jesus what does that person look like? What does that mean? A little history lesson. Uh, years ago in your church, many years ago, we had a group called The Session. Those are the elected elders, lay people of the church. They got together and said, we've got to figure out what our purpose, what's our mission statement? We've got to clarify our mission. Crystal clear. Why do we do what we do? And so we came up with a purpose statement. Some of you know it. You've you heard it many times. It's to glorify God. By share the love and grace of Jesus Christ with as many people as we can. And then how are we going to do that? By ministering to spiritual, emotional, and physical needs. We're going to minister to people's needs. We're going to provide the opportunity, right, for, for fellowship, for relationships. So you can grow and have relationships. But also for individual and collective spiritual growth. So that's kind of, that's why we exist. That's what we do. And it's all about the one more. But I want to paint a picture here to kind of help some of you because I know you're visual. So here is what our, our mission purpose statement looks like in a visual way. Uh, picture this line right here. And there's someone here that is far from God, FFG, someone who's far from God. And what we want to do is take someone, love someone that's far from God to where they have a, an encounter with Jesus. That somehow, because of the way you love them with loving grace, they go, aha. Ah, because of the way you treat them at the restaurant, because of the way you treat them as a boss at work, by the way you do your work, and they find out you're a Christian, by the way you go through the dry cleaners, by the way you take care of the table server, by the way you treat people, and you build a relationship, they go, whoa, wow, and they find out you're a Christian, they see the cross, they see the Bible, they see the tattoo, whatever, they go, huh. And they go, man, aha, man. And they, it's so much so they experience God's love and grace that they themselves come to get to know this guy named Jesus. But we don't want to leave them right there. I want to make sure this is crystal clear, really clear. This is not just what it's all about. Back in the late 1980s, um, so many churches, they did not give any care about people who are far from God, who do not believe in God. They didn't care. Just leave that to the Billy Grahams of the world. Leave that to all those crusades out there. And I'll be quite honest with you, even today, there are many churches that really don't care about people coming fully devoted followers of Jesus, FDFJ, fully devoted followers of Jesus. They're really not interested in that. It's just keep the sheep in the pen happy. Don't ruffle people's feathers. Uh, just kind of give them a little sugar, make them feel good all over, you know, have the little church thing, go home, and just make sure everybody's happy. We study the scriptures. Nowhere in the Bible to say that's what the purpose and the mission of the church is. 
In Matthew chapter 22, great commandment. It says, love God, but love people. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. People that are far from God, love them. Love them. Love them. But you just don't leave them there. Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. Last words of Jesus in Matthew. Go and make disciples where people are fully devoted followers of Jesus. Because we said last weekend, right, 95% devotion to Jesus is 5% short. 5% short. Fully devoted to Jesus. I have a friend who uh, <laughs> has several businesses, and sometimes he'll call in the, the leader of that business and that business and that business, and he'll bring him into his office. And he'll say, I want to make this crystal clear to all of you, blindingly clear. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Blindingly clear. This morning, I want to make this blindingly clear. So clear that you will not leave here and say, man, I have no idea. I, I'm confused. No. Our mission and our purpose is to help people who are far from God, who are not even sure if they believe in God, to love them so well, love them, that they have this encounter and want to know who Jesus is, and then not just leave him there until they die and have a place to go to heaven, that they along the way become a fully developed follower of Jesus. Last May, I'm on an airplane flying from Nashville down to Mexico. Dallas and I had been to Nashville. Uh, our youngest was getting his MBA from Vanderbilt. It was a great day of celebration. But the next, next morning, we got to get on a plane to go to Mexico because I'm presiding at a wedding down there. And so we had to get up really early. We get to the airport, and you know, like always, you get there early for the earliest flight, and you sit on the tarmac forever for like almost two hours. And so you get to know the people around you pretty well when you're in that situation. And I got to know this guy a little bit, and he's asking me about why they were here and blah, blah, I told him. And my son graduated from Vanderbilt, MBA, and he said, oh, I'm a business professor. Oh, really? Yeah, he told me. I started peppering him with questions, leadership questions, organizational questions, mission questions. I was trying to learn as a, have a free class while I was there on the plane, take advantage of the moment. And so... He comes to a point and says, you know, it sounds to me like maybe you lead an organization yourself. And I said, well, I'm a pastor, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Well, well, what is your purpose statement? What is your so I told him our mission statement. He says, make it shorter for me. Make it as short as you can. I said, okay, here it is. Uh, we want to take people who are far from God, love them so well that they actually become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And he said, ah, so what you're trying to tell me is, you're trying to take people who are atheists and turn them into missionaries. <laughs> that's a business person thinking, right? They just think differently. I said, oh, that's a much more succinct. I get it. And, and then he said, uh, excuse my friends, this is, I'm just quoting what he said. He said, well, if you, that, that sounds to me like one hell of a challenge. Uh, I thought maybe that's why it's so hard. It's hard. And so we've been trying to work here for the past two and a half years. I've been in so many conversations with people. Hey, what does this person look like? Hey, what is a fully devoted follower of Jesus, a disciple, what does that person look like? And there's all sorts of definitions. It's interesting what people say. 
Here's what I think. A fully devoted follower of Jesus, there's someone who is quote-unquote saved, they stay sober, and they vote Republican. (laughs) Somebody else will say, oh, there's someone that's a monk, they live in a monastery, and they vote Democrat. Both very low, low standards of someone that's a follower, very low standards. Both of them. So searching the scriptures, what does the Bible have to say? I'm going to share with you the five G's. Everybody's interested in 5G, right? The five G's that I think give clarity on someone who's a disciple, a fully devoted follower, one more fully devoted to Jesus. And here's the first one in your message notes. Someone who understands and experiences God's amazing grace. The Christian life does not begin with, man, I just got to start acting better. I just got to fly straighter. That's not where it begins. Here's what I know about all religions. And some of you here, uh, you've been in church all your life, but all you've been doing is practicing religion. And somebody this morning is going to have an aha moment, I hope. One of those aha, one of those million and ones, aha. Uh, in every religion of the world, and some folks in Christianity that are so religious, uh, there's a ladder. And at the top of their ladder is little OG, put little G God. And Man, someone comes to a time in their life, you know what? I, I got to get right with God. Uh, something's not right. I feel empty. And so they start climbing. They start climbing this ladder. They're struggling. They're striving. They, they're memorizing all this, these creeds, all these little stuff you got to know. Uh, they start praying exactly five times a day, right on the right time. I mean, exactly like you're supposed to. They go on these long journeys, go 30 and 40 days without eating, have smoke and incense and all that sort of stuff, trying to create this atmosphere, right, where finally they feel close to God. You ask this person, well, tell me, how do you know you've ever get to the top? You're climbing. How do you know you ever arrived? You know what they'll say? If I ask you this and you're doing this, you'll say, uh, I don't know. Well, what do you do if you get to right here, one, at the end of your life, and you discover you're one rung short? What then? Oops. The biblical Christianity, biblical Christianity, uh, there is a ladder. And... God is there. And you in your own life, you start climbing this ladder. I mean, you, man, I got to get good. I got to behave better. I, I got I to gotta, I gotta ratchet up. I got to fly straighter in my life. And you, you get to a point, though, where you go, you know, I don't care how hard I try. I can never reach the standard of the holiness of who God is. I'll never be good enough, ever. And you go, whoa. And when you come to that point in your life, 
you will experience the goodness of God just shooting down this ladder to meet you right here at your point of need. And Jesus on the cross, and God says, listen, I love you so much. I'm going to let my son come down to you. And he's going to die on the cross for the redeeming, atoning work of your sin. And I'm going to give it to you as a gift of grace. Over here, you're climbing. I mean, you're climbing. You're trying to be better. You're trying to be good. And over here, you just go, oh, 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 I'll never be good enough. <laughs> Thank you, God, for your grace. Titus chapter 3, beginning at verse 3. We'll put it on the screen. At one time, we too were foolish. We were disobedient. We were deceived. We were enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. We were far from God. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, he appeared, he descended into my life, he saved us, not because of any right thing or climbing I had done, but because of his mercy, because of his grace, he saved us. He came to meet us, to meet us here at our place. He lowered himself to where you are in your life as a gift. Let me ask you a question. When did it come to your understanding? Well, you went, ah, light bulb went off. That you'll never be good enough on your own. Never. And you had this experience where all of a sudden, ha, ha, and you were just messed up <laughs> by the grace of God in your life that turned your life upside down. Last week, standing out in the crossing, after I'd explained the eight DNA pathway traits last week, I was standing with the guy. I said, Pastor, I love our church. I just love our church. All these qualities of our church, I love our church. I said, great. Well, Tim, what you love about your church? And he told me some of the things he loved about his church. And I said, well, tell me. Have you ever, tell me when you were messed up by God's grace, when you experienced God's grace. And he said, what? I said, I told you, I love our church. I said, I know you love our church. I'm glad. But let me ask you, can you tell me when in your life, anytime, where you just experienced and encountered God's grace? He looked at me with his eyes kind of going, ah, I'm confused. I don't know what you're talking about. It's my prayer this morning. That this becomes so crystal clear. <laughs> that somebody is going to go, ah, oh, 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 I can't. Whoa, really? God's great. And it's going to change your life from, from this point forward because you understand. You're going to stop the climbing and restart it receiving. God's grace for your life. I'll never forget. I was a uh, junior. and uh, did ready to be a junior in high school. And I was invited to a youth event. It's amazing how this happens in youth. I'm invited to a youth event at our church, and they're having something called a lay witness mission, where youth from other churches came to our church on a Friday night. And they all start sharing their testimonies. And I'm invited to come to this experience at our own church. And I'm invited by a girl, the cutest girl in our youth group. So, of course, I go. I wasn't planning on going. Because I heard she was going to be there, and she asked me to come, and I was planning on getting a kiss, probably more than one, uh, before the night was over. That was my plan. I'm just being truthful. And so I go. And they put this chair out in the center of the room, just like this. 
And after they shared all their sharing about what God had done in their life, they said, if there's anybody here that would like to come sit in the chair and receive God's grace, uh, just come sit in the chair, put in the middle of the room. I, I can't tell you why. I just, I just felt myself pulled. I just got up, and I went, and I sat in that chair. Hands came upon me, and I got kissed by grace. a 16-year-old kid. I was just trying to be good. And I realized I was never going to be good enough. Every time in your life when you realize, I don't care how hard I try, I'm never going to be good enough. I mean, just and I keep messing up and I keep messing up. But then in that moment, I realized it's not about me being confident in my goodness It's being confident in the goodness of God who came down the ladder to meet me, Rick, in my life, to give me the gift of grace of a new opportunity because he loved me. Have you been messed up by grace? Have you? Sometimes men are a little bit slower on this thing. They kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's that girl stuff, yeah, yeah, grace thing. Come to worship and singing songs. Well, I'm not going to sing. I'll let the women sing. I'll just, I'm going to stand here. I'm not going to, no, no, I'm going to have my hands crossed and you know, all that, sit back and everything like that. I was talking with a guy about this, you know. I said, hey, listen, man. Hey, buddy, have you, have you ever been touched by God's grace? And he said, uh, what are you talking about, Rick? I said, well, have, you ever, have you ever been touched by God's grace? I said, well, how would I know? I said, well, here's what I'll tell you. Here's what I know, man. I don't care how masculine you are, big and dude you are. If you've been touched by God's grace and somebody's singing amazing grace and you start singing a song, you have to fight back the moisture in your eyes. Because you start remembering you don't deserve You start remembering that life. And you go, wow, really? God would still love me. And you kind of have to fight it a little bit. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. I was confused. I was making trips around the water tower trying to figure out where I was. I didn't know where I was headed. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just lost. I was blind. I couldn't see. I was confused. But now, oh my goodness, I see clearly because Christ has found me. He came to me. And uh, how do you know? How, how do you know you've experienced God's grace? How do you know? Besides just that awareness in your spirit. I said a couple of things. Here's a couple of markers. One is you become more gracious as a person. You become more grace-giving. It is impossible to be messed up by the grace of God and still be a cynical, mean-spirited, harsh, judgmental, condemning, short-tempered, angry person. It is impossible to stay that way your whole life if you've been messed up by grace. 
Well, Pastor, you don't understand. I was born that way. That's just my personality. <laughs> That's just the way I am. Oh, really? And I'm telling you, you haven't been messed up by grace. Because when you get messed up by grace, the power of grace is greater than your personality. And it will begin to transform you and change you, and you will become more gracious. Like the last verse in Ephesians chapter 4 that says, you will begin to be kind and compassionate and more forgiving to other people. You just will. So I ask you, do you find yourself being more, having more capacity to be kind and compassionate and forgiving of others? Or are you still just, just asking? Another marker is that you would want other people to know of God's grace. If you've been messed up by grace, you want somebody else to be messed up by it too. I mean, you just do. You don't want to hold it to yourself. You want everybody. I have people ask me this all the time. Pastor, you talk about your faith everywhere. You're in the gym. You have these stories. You're on the airplane. You're at Sprout. You're all these places. And y'all, you, do you do that because you're a pastor? No. It has nothing to do with that. I just think personally that everybody's life would be better if they had Jesus at the center of it. So if you have Jesus at the center, you get messed up by grace. And I'm not just talking about eternity. I'm talking about your whole life. When you've been messed up by grace, your life is better because it changes how you look at your spouse. It changes how you parent. It changes how you do your job. It changes how you're a boss to the people who work for you. Because grace changes your view of life. And I would just say it's a much better life than all condemning and angry and judgmental and condescending and dividing the political, all this stuff, and just to love people with the grace of God. It just changes everything. So let me ask you, how are you doing on that? Who are you getting to know? Just to know them so you can be kind and good and loving and tell God's story. Just know their story and pray for them and serve them and minister. Who, who are you getting to know? That Christmas time is going to come around and there's going to be lots of seats around here for one more. And because they know that you care for them, they'll be open to an invitation because they know you care for them. Just asking. Here's the second thing I will say right there. I'm moving along. Uh, how fully devoted follower of Christ. They are growing toward Christ-likeness. And I want to make this point pretty clear, is that some people think Christianity is a behavior modification program. Uh, that's why some of you send your kids up here. <laughs> Would y'all please get our kids to behave better? Some of you, hey, pastor, I'm going to send my spouse to come see you. <laughs> I get that all the time. Would you please help them change their behavior? I'll send them home. They're different, but you're not. <laughs> this is not a behavior modification program. Not at all. Your spiritual growth does not happen by you changing your behavior on the outside. Spiritual growth is an internal transformation by the power of the transcendence of the Spirit of God in you called the Holy Spirit. That when you experience amazing grace, you receive it. You get the Holy Spirit in your life. And the Holy Spirit is the power of God. And when the power of God is in your life, it is doing something new within you. And it pulls you. It just kind of draws you to be more like Christ. 
It's not you trying to behave better. You want to read the Bible. You want to hang out with Christians. You want to come to church. Nobody's beating you over the head. Nobody's making you get up. Nobody's asking the question. You want to be here because you know when you're here, you're going to grow and you're going to learn to be around Christ-like people. You just are, and you become more Christ-like. You, you want to. It's the Spirit of God within you. You're growing. It's not a battle. I think one of the passages that people overlook is 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. It says, do not quench the Spirit. You know what that means? You know how you quench the Spirit? When the Spirit of God is in you and saying, hey, I want you to do this, and you say no. No, I want you to do this, because if you do this, you're going to become more like Christ. You say no. When you keep saying no, you are quenching the Spirit, and you're not growing. So, I'm on this airplane coming back from Ethiopia, and I'm at the very back of the plane. You know at the very back of the plane where the seats are so narrow that your knees are in your mouth the whole time, and you're in a praying position just because you've got to have room in the seat? It was one of those sort of seats. And, man, people were coming on the plane, so everybody's trying to get on the plane. This little old lady, uh, I don't know how old she was. She was old, and she had this thing on her head, and she had a bundle, and she had a cane, and she was slowing down. Everybody was getting upset because she was taking so long. And I'm sitting there, come on, gal. She couldn't make her way down. And I felt the Spirit of God say, Holy Spirit say, Rick, I go help her. And I'm going, listen, there's a lot of other people. She's way at the front. Let them help her. Let somebody, a good person, help her. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, no, you get up, you go help her. I said, okay, unbuckle my seatbelt. Got up. Walked down the aisle. Got her bundle to try to help her put it up top. She starts hitting me with her cane. What are you doing? He's, you're, he's stealing my bundle. This man, she's looking at her head. Don't you take my bundle? I'm, going, I'm not trying to steal your thing. I'm just trying to. I started talking like she can't speak English. And I can't speak her language. I'm trying to. Oh, go, 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 go. Finally, get, her, get it all up there and uh, get her seated. I'll go back and I sit down in my little spot. And I sat down right here. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, oh, Good job. That's exactly what I wanted you. Let me ask you, when the Holy Spirit asks you to do something, to say something that Christ would say, that would make you more like Christ, do you say yes? Do you say, nope, not me. <laughs> not me. I'm not doing that. That's not my personality. I'm shy. I'm, nope, not me. Hmm. Really? <laughs> when you say yes to Jesus Christ, it's not just, okay, I'm going to wait till I die and go to heaven. I got my space reserved. I, my membership's rolling in the church. Now I'm safe. I'm going to give a little bit once a year, and I'm just going to die. So now I have a place. I'm just going to wait. Along the way, you have what they call these mini conversions where the Holy Spirit convicts you there's something in the world that's wrong, and i got to do something about it. And you grow when you say yes and not say no. Such as, many of you were here. Some 12 years ago, when I went to Myanmar and I came back and I saw these kids being sold in the sex trade business, and I said, that's not okay. And you said, that's not okay. And you did something about it. And then from that point forward, you have been involved in global missions like nobody's business, over $2 million, $1.7 million in the past five years. You have given and done to spread the good news of Jesus through ministering to people's in physical, emotional, and spiritual needs all over the world. That was a turning point for us as a church. 
Some of you remember you were here when I stood up here in this very place, and I said, listen, uh, young adults, <laughs> I'm going to open up my home. Just come to my house. I got convicted by the Holy Spirit that I needed to connect with the young adults in our church, many who didn't know if they believed in God, and they were leaving the church in droves as young adults and, and begin a ministry to young adults in my home. And that was a turning point for the church that set up crunch of development leaders in the life of the church. Uh, some of you uh, remember when I got convicted uh, that it's not okay for us to be all white. And I started addressing that issue head on. And that we've got to be a part of the problem, we're going to be part of the solution in our society, the church, to do that. And you all say, okay, let's do that. And we're totally different now because of that. Thanks be to God. Uh, some of you got convicted along the way about sex trafficking. And we had some women in this church particularly who got involved in making sure of getting kids, girl, young girls off the street. Here, right here in our own zip code. Some of you was hunger. You said, man, I'm not okay with so many kids being hungry in 76028 zip code. And many of you, you started bringing not just one red bag, but four and five red bags, some of you, because you wanted to eradicate hunger. Uh, we had some people here in our church who got convicted about our youth. And on Wednesday nights, uh, they just show up in droves. Here's a picture of some folks who just got convicted that their calling is to minister to kids. Some of them don't even have parents who, who are involved in their lives. And so they work all day. Some work on Saturdays. And they show up here. Look how many of them. That's one of the reasons we're claiming this art. Because they got convicted by the Holy Spirit. We got to make something right that's wrong in the world. Kids having mentors and guidance and direction in their life. Because the parents aren't doing it. My wife, it's been so fun watching her grow. I've seen my wife grow from this little baby Christian to being so centered in Christ. She used to not stand up before anybody and do anything. And now she got convicted about 12th graders that nobody's really helping 12th graders to launch into the world. And so she and two others, uh, uh, every Sunday they meet in the next hour with a bunch of seniors and uh, just make sure they're ready in a godly way for what's next because that big old world is ugly, it's difficult, and she would never have spoken in front, but the Holy Spirit said yes, and she's a totally different person. Let me ask you, are you saying yes when the Holy Spirit convicts you? Or are you just saying no, not me, and just a little wallflower sitting and watching? Fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. They're growing. Thirdly, they experience Christian community in small groups. I got about five minutes to do all three of these, and I can do it. <laughs> when you say yes to Jesus Christ, you learn something about the Trinity. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they have a perfect relationship. These three, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they like each other. They, don't, they get along with each other. They have perfect purity, no drama, no issues in their relationship. And it's a model for you and me that when you accept Jesus Christ, your Savior and Lord, you want this in your life. Anybody tired of drama? Tired of dysfunction? Small groups are where that happens in the church. That's why in Acts chapter 2, when the church blew up and was born, thousands of one more... They met people's homes. They started meeting meeting in homes. Small groups, they had to be together. They said they were glad about it, the Scripture says. They didn't have to beat them over the head. They wanted to be together, and they were sincere, which means they took off the mask. That's what sincerity means, take off the mask. Would you agree with me? It gets tiring wearing the mask. You go to work, and you've got to be professional. You've got all this junk on the inside. You've got an image. You've got to produce. But on the inside, you're going, ah. Oh. I got this 16-year-old kid 
drives me crazy. I don't know how to manage this kid. He's tearing our home apart. I don't know what to do. Or maybe you're a 16-year-old kid, and you're going to come to church on Wednesday night or Sunday morning, and you're going to go, oh, my dad, my dad, he's an alcoholic. He disappears for days. When he comes home, he beats my mom up. I don't know what to do. And if you don't have a place to take down the mask and be sincere with people who trust you and love you, you're, you're in trouble. I will tell you, you're not going to grow. You're going to be stuck. And you want to be in a small group because that's the only place you can let down the mask and no one's going to judge you or condemn you. They're going to love you and just help you and pray with you along the way. The fourth thing is that you're going to discover and deploy your spiritual gifts. Um, I really don't have time to, to really hammer on this, but if you're growing, we've taught this, that when you receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives you gifts. And when you receive those gifts, uh, they're to make the world better. And when you do that, your life is just, you're growing, it's flourishing. I wish I had time to talk about this. And here's the last one, number six, number five, is that you have good financial stewardship if you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Because you, you may be someone who's had this experience right here, right? And you're growing in other areas, but if you've not gotten your money stuff right, I mean, you're living back here lost. You're in a mess. I mean, you're always worrying, always stressed. It's just trouble, trouble, trouble with your finances. I, it's a big old black hole for so many people. And that's why we try to teach you what the Bible has to say. It's a discipleship issue. And I gave you five commands that you, well, statements that you, what do you do? Number one is that you say, hey, everything I have, it comes from the hands of God. That you write down everything you have and you go, you know what? This doesn't even belong to me. I have this on loan. It all comes from God. Uh, secondly, I'm going to learn to live joyfully uh, within God's provision. I'm not going to live in debt. Not going to keep using that credit card if I can't afford it. Not going to do it. I'm not going to get myself in that spot. I'm going to get out of debt and live within the provision of God. I'm going to get healthy in that way. Thirdly, I'm going to set aside the first portion of everything, 10% that comes through my hands. Uh, it's going back to God. It is a no-brainer for the Christian. No-brainer. A tithe is a sense of the priority of God in my life as a disciple of Jesus. Number four, I'm going to set aside a portion in savings. You've got to save. It's not I'm talking about your retirement. You have got to have the discipline of saving in your life uh, for future opportunities and emergencies in your retirement. And then fifthly is that I'm going to be listening for the whispers of God you know, on how God might use me and the resources he's provided for future kingdom-building opportunities. And that's what this Now One More we're asking you to do, that as you have your little devotion book and that each day, uh, you pray that God grant us a joy-filled experience of sacrificial generosity. You're just praying, God, how would you use me? You know, so one more, one more, one more uh, can be experience your love and grace and become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And that's what we're asking everybody to do. All right. Now, I hope that's clear to some of you. Is that pretty clear? The five Gs, what it is to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus? I hope that's clear. Now, let me kind of put this in perspective as we close this up. There's a woman who came here years ago, and all of a sudden she came as a lapsed Lutheran because she had been climbing, 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 climbing. And she came here, she was here five or six months, and she finally discovered about this downward ladder that God descended to meet her here, and she could stop the climbing and just receive the grace of God. And it messed her up. <laughs> Did it totally change her thinking about, oh, about life and about everything. 
And then she started growing. I mean, she just started growing spiritually. And she got involved in a small group. And she found out her small groups. And she got great financially. She was in a good spot. She was really growing. And then she got diagnosed with leukemia. Real serious stuff. Critical. As a pastor, I get to see a lot of people suffer. And I'll tell you, it's very unpleasant sometimes, some of the things you see. And you see people die. Do you know that people die differently? Some people die with peace and just very, some people they die, man, they're holding on to the sheets. They're grabbing hold of the lamp, knocking over lampshades. They're holding on to people that are loved them in the room. Don't let me go. Don't let me go. Because they're just, it's not clear to them. They've not kind of, it's not clear. They're just not sure about all this whole thing. It's kind of, it's kind of foggy with them. But this woman right here, uh, it was pretty clear to her. So I go to see her. She's suffering so bad. And uh, I just kind of sit down in the hospital room. And I say, man, why aren't you taking your pain meds? She's not taking her pain meds. So why aren't you taking them? And she says, Rick, I don't have many days left. And I don't want my brain so foggy that in my last few days that I can't give thanks to God for his amazing grace and express gratitude to my family. I want to be clear to be able to express that. And then she started singing. She started singing old hymns. She died just shortly thereafter, just next day. Let me ask you, if after 5.30, after tonight, you were to get a text or a phone call from your doctor, not trying to be morbid, and the news wasn't good, and it was imminent, would you be grabbing hold of the sheets, knocking over the lampshades? Uh, or would you start singing? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. T'was blind, but now I see. Spirit of God, I pray you would kiss every person who could hear my voice near and far with your grace. And so mess them up <laughs> that it would change how they live their lives. That you would use them in their families, in their marriages, in their parenting, in all their relationships, God. And they'd be so gracious that others would come to know how good and wonderful you are. Until one more and one more and one more and one more is changed because of your great love. But let it begin with us. I pray you do this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for coming. If you're a guest, I'd love to meet you. Bye.